This is Kevin. And this is Josh. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we're going to just have a, a one-on-one, mono-a-mono talk, Josh and I, on um, several topics that have kind of come up in the last few weeks where we're still in um, COVID-19 situation. Um, and, and there's a lot of interesting topics and a lot of interesting situations that are definitely starting to, to arise um, when it comes to uh, set life. Kevin, thanks for coming on the episode today. <laughs> no, no, Josh. <laughs> the, um, thank you. Just, <laughs> just trying to get some normalcy here. Um, yeah, I'm. We've got some great episodes lined up after this. Um, but me and Kevin wanted to, you know, as Kevin said, we want to take a chance and just kind of spitball and talk and kind of get some things, you know, out of our brain into in front of everyone and just kind of talk about some of the stuff that's happening in the industry right now. Um, you've had a couple friends on set and you, you were kind of telling me that you've had a couple friends on set already and that they've kind of given you some feedback to, you know, what it was like. Yeah. And what did they say? And I, I'll openly admit I've already been on set, uh, twice. Um, uh, had two different jobs come through, um, well, they were actually postponed jobs from when this was, you know, this all kind of started in March. Um, both jobs that I've already had were supposed to be March jobs, and we just recently uh, completed both of them uh, just last week. So, um, and between that and and just like you said, several friends of mine that have been on set or have been contacted, and I know you, you've had a few of those as well. Um, some interesting takeaways. Um, there's there's obviously the you know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. There's uh, the legalities behind um, signing, you know, uh, liability waivers. There's um, there's the, the money aspect, you know, pay rates. There's several different directions we can go. Um, you know, I, the, the first thing that I'll say is, I, I, right now I'm, I'm hearing a very legitimate 50-50 on it being mandatory to wear masks on set. Uh, I've had I've had two people because um, you know when I when I hear that they've been on set, I just point blank ask like, "Hey, I'm just kind of polling people. I don't really care who you worked for, where you went. I you know very simple question: Did you were you asked to wear a mask? Yes or no? Uh, if no, did you voluntarily wear a mask and why? And it's just you know pure curiosity. Um, and I'm hearing right now fifty fifty on being asked to wear a mask on set and then of the the 50 percent that don't that are not asked that it's mandatory um about i'd say maybe two out of every five say that they are voluntarily wearing a mask so it's very interesting the dynamics that are coming out from there um you know like i said the 50 50 you know whoever's hiring them or wherever they're going uh 50 percent of the of them are being told like hey you have to wear a mask on set. Um, you know, there's a lot more information that needs to be compiled. Um, I, I'm, I'm playing it kind of, I'm kind of slow playing the questions because I don't want anyone feeling uncomfortable giving me answers, but that's kind of what I'm hearing um, right now. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Um, I'm not surprised the numbers that low, but I, I kind of am at the same time. Um, you know, our industry has been very vocal through this whole process. And um, I just kind of feel like 
more of my coworkers would have been mindful about the situation. You know, like, here's the thing, like, a mask isn't an infringement on your freedom. It's it's a kindness that you're doing for your brothers and sisters to make sure that they don't get sick. What if someone else on set has an autoimmune disease or is more susceptible to something like COVID than you are? So it's I feel like the mask thing, yeah, should be mandatory, and it's not an infringement on anyone. It's just something that we should be doing for each other as brothers and sisters. And... It's like, so I'm not surprised, but I'm kind of, I'm a little butthurt at the same time, you know, like step up your mask game. And, um, but this is kind of going to be the, a wild west moment too, you know, like commercial industry compared to film industry are going to be two different things. Um, you know, big commercial jobs that are organized by unions and controlled by the AICP and all that stuff are going to, you know adhere to a different set of rules than, you know, commercial production that don't adhere, that aren't a part of those memberships or those organizations or unions or, you know, don't do any of those things. They're going to kind of run by their own rules. No different than film. You know, indie film is going to play by a different, a different set of rules than, than, um, studios are. And, um, I'm kind of intrigued on your take by this too, but, you know, I was talking with a buddy the other day and we were talking about, you know, he brought up, have you seen the Lionsgate, you know, rules and the SAG rules? And we were, and I was like, yeah, you know, I've seen them. And it's just, I don't know how many, you know, of these guidelines, even the film Florida ones and stuff are, are practical, especially for indie productions. Um, not saying that, these sets should be unsafe, but I just don't know how executable they are, you know, within that frame. And when you say, well, did, did you look at the, the, you know, the guidelines that Lionsgate set out? And I'm like, yeah, that's, have you ever worked at an office and you get this big booklet of guidelines, inner office guidelines and inner office policies. And it's like a quarter of them are followed. They're not there for you to half the time they're not there to actually be actively enforced, although maybe they should be. They're there so that if something ever happens, management can look back at the book and say, see, we told them, you know, and see, we had a policy in place. So just to have Paramount, Universal, Lionsgate, Disney, whoever, come out with a set of guidelines and policies, and for people to think that that is now going to be this Bible that has to be followed by the line on set, I just don't think it's going to work that way. Yeah. Um, and as someone who came from corporate life, I mean, we talked about our past um, in one of the previous episodes, but I mean, I, I worked at um, a very corporate um, location for, for two years and the amount of rules, but yet not all of them are followed. Some are, some are, some are, you know, bend, don't break kind of rules. Some are look the right. other way. It's not going to hurt anybody, you know, kind of situation, but um but then some of the rules that are enforced are are very odd, and you kind of look at it and go, "So you're going to enforce this one, but you're not going to enforce this one, really." Right. Um, and that's that's where I am personally looking and going, "Hmm." So I'm really, really, really curious which ones are going to be the. Oh no, we're enforcing rule seven A, 
but rule four, right. eh, we're not really going to care about. It's like, how how does that make sense? Now, we don't have any premium examples yet, any real-life examples, but that's where I'm wondering, what are, what are going to yeah. be the ones that they truly enforce and why? Yeah, and obviously the unions will have a lot to do with that because if SAG sets a sets a, you know SAG's really strong about this, setting a pair of guidelines and really adhering to them, and really making the filmmakers, you know, adhere to them. Um, they themselves right now are kind of taking a policy of like wait and see. We're going to evaluate every project on a project by project basis. You're going to submit a, you know onset safe policy to us and we're going to evaluate that and we're going to go from there um but it's 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 going to be the wild west and you know indie is going to be different than studio but yep. it may not be that different and you know there's it's going to open the door like for it reminds me a lot of the 2008 bubble like when that happened what happened with production and all that stuff and kind of what changed, you know, during that period, there was a lot of crew being taken advantage of. There was a lot of undercutting rates. There was a lot of stuff that just kind of people accepted and did just to get the work and the jobs. And, you know, it's times like these that is a perfect, you know, I was talking with someone else the other day and they were saying they were talking about how a production company was going to be shooting a commercial locally and how the agent, the um, casting agencies were telling their, you know, um, actors to not accept these rates and don't go to work for these things and don't go to work for them right now and, and this and that. And he's like, well, you know, he's like, is there some kind of group that we can put together? And I'm like, yeah, it's called a union. You know, like this is why the unions were made. This is why, you know, workers got together to set forth a set of area standards so that everyone would adhere to them and they could, you know, in a way, control the rates of an area and make sure that everyone was getting paid good wages and you weren't getting paid, you know, $75 a day to work 14 hours, you know? Um, yeah, so and whatever areas you live in, I mean, we've all heard of... We, you know, if you've worked in this industry for, you know, even a moderate amount of time, wherever market you're in, you've heard of the companies that undercut. You've heard of the companies that bring on interns for exposure to learn and then they never get a paid job out of them. Um, or, or, you know, or bring on interns to, you know, do a job position that a, a, a professional. Um, that a professional, sorry, I just can't talk today, but they bring on interns or bring on a PA to fulfill a, a professional's job position, but then continue to charge a, a higher rate, the professional's rate, and then pocket that money or drop the budget or in order to be able to drop the budget to then, you know, undercut the job and get the job. But then you're left with one dude that knows that maybe knows what he's doing and a bunch of people that are just yes men and really aren't applying any skill set or art to the job whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, operating a production company, um, you know, I, I, I know, um, I know, you know, Josh, obviously you've, you've worked under TSM, um, multiple times and, you know, people like Andrew that we've had on in the past and people in the area, I, I, I truly honest to God hope know that I, I pay, fair market rates and if i cannot for that specific job i am very open to it immediately but that does not set the new rate for you 
that just says, look, on this job, this is the rate I have. You can say yes. You can say no. If you say no, it does not hurt your standing with me whatsoever. If, you know, we'll just use, um, you know, a $500 rate for X job. If that's your normal rate, but I say, hey, look, I got a job this day. The pay for this one's three fifty. I know it's normally five hundred. Um, it's because of X, Y, Z reason. I'm I'm very open as to why. You know, whether it's um, you know part one of a ten part series, and this is just has the lower budget, but then the other you know the other nine parts, it'll be a normal rate. Um, if it's an oddball for whatever reason, I'm very open about it. And then, but that, like I said, that does not re that does not restart your rate at three fifty. I've had people say, no, man, I'm I'm really gonna I'm going to pass, politely pass. I really want to stake at the 500. I'm saying, hey, no big deal. I go down the line on my crew list. Other person gets it. But that person who said no does not lose their standing with me in any way, shape, or form. Um, I typically end up calling that person back three days later for another job, and they get their $500 rate for, in this example. Um, right. Just just pay attention to who's contacting you. If it's a crewer, if it's a company, if it's a producer of any sort that you never talked to and you haven't worked for in a year, two years because of whatever negative reason or what you know, maybe you've tried to get with them but they never have and they're they're offering you a lower rate to work, you know, your your spidey senses should be going off. Like why is this person who I haven't talked to in 2 years trying to crew me for a job that's under market rate? Um, also if uh, someone that you normally work for, um, is offering you a lower rate at this time, get clarity as to why, you know, if you truly trust that person, maybe take the job. Every, every person's different. Um, you know, within reason, obviously, of, you know, $500 rate shouldn't be, should not be $75. Um, but if, if you feel comfortable saying yes to the slightly lower rate and they give you a respectable answer, um, that's, that's your decision. But the biggest thing is making sure that that does not reset your rate. You know, your new rate right. is not 350. It is still 500. You're just taking this slightly lower rate for this one-off for X reason. Just pay attention. This is this is not a situation where where rates can be reset for a producer or a company's um, uh, liking. Well, the the problem is going to be is that there might be actual cases where companies have less to work with, less to market with. Um, you know for studios the production budgets might go down for a little bit just because they've had so many months of you know reduced or no income um you know they've maybe even themselves had to furlough people so you know there will be plausible reasons to why budgets and and rates will need to go down um at least for a little while until we can figure out and a vaccine comes out and we can kind of get on the top of things um but for the you know, for the other cases, um, you know, like in an instance of undercutting, undercutting is not going to do us any good. Nope. If company XYZ puts out a bid and, you know, says, hey, we have $100,000 for this commercial and this promotional material and a $50,000 bid comes in or a $25,000 bid comes in, that doesn't help anyone. That's such a drastic undercut. You know, even if it's something as small as like twenty five hundred dollars, and it's like a local thing, and someone bids it for a thousand or like five hundred bucks, that doesn't do anyone in the industry any good because all that does is establish your precedence as being really low, and it undermines everyone else, and it 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 stops the area's ability to bid for realistic pricing. 
And so, because then they come to expect that and they're like, okay, well, last time we got a bid for 500, we're just going to use that person again, or we're going to put out a bid at, you know, 1500 next time instead of the 2500. And so it just emboldens them to lower prices and get away with it again. And, and it takes for, you know, in 2008, it happened and it took us forever to get out from underneath that and like get rates back up because I don't know about anyone else. I'd rather do two jobs a month instead of 20, you know, and it's short sightedness to think that, you know, what well, I just, you know, I'm going to get the work. I'm going to get as much as work as I can. I get it. We're all suffering, but, um, it's just, it, it's just really going to, it's going to really make it a, a longer recovery instead of a speedier one. Yeah. So it's, it's the, I'm going to hustle mentality. Yes, you still can hustle, but hustle respectfully. Um, right. I, I, you know, I was just telling you right before we started recording this, I had, I, I submitted two bids the, this last uh, like 10 days, 12 days. And both of them within, shoot, 36 hours. They're two completely different bids for two completely different jobs for two completely different companies, not related in any way, shape, or form. And within 36, 48 hours, um, they both essentially said the same thing, funny enough, saying, thank you for bidding. We're going to go with another company. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it was it was so quick that I'm going, okay, I just got undercut to high hell. Like, it, it right. you know, the amount of times that I, I put in a whatever, you know, once again, we're just going to say stupid, simple numbers here, $5,000 bid. And if I'm close, they will say, hey, you know, company X that we will not tell you, rightfully so, um, sent us a bid for 4400 for the same exact thing. Is there any way you can match that? Well, obviously, if they're asking me that, they like us better for whatever reason. I'm going to either say, yes, I'll match that, or I'm going to say, no, can't match that unless I remove this one variable, these two variables, you know, price-wise. At that point, either I lose the job or I get the job. The fact that both of those just said, okay, thanks, bye, made me think, wow, someone just came in at 25% of what I just bid. Whatever that was, or 30%, 50%. I wasn't even in the ballpark. And all I did was submit per their per, per their guidelines for the deliverables that they wanted at our price structure that, is, that has worked for years. Um, and mind you, I've already gotten a signed job since all this has happened. So it's still, that price structure still works because I already signed a job. Um, and I'm in, 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 in the running for another job that I feel decently confident I'll get, but it's just remarkable that those two jobs just within, within, you know, under 48 hours, just gone. I'm like, no, that, that to me screams undercutting and that's not going to help anybody. Um, another example I have, which is an even sadder example is I heard point blank a businessman tell me to my face that he is looking for the cheap bids right now because he knows he can get it right i was like okay yeah um this is my this is my quote and and that's exactly that's exactly what i'm talking about if he can't find the cheap bid anywhere because everyone in the area 
is working at the standard rate, then he doesn't find the cheap bid anywhere. Or if he goes and gets a, a kid out of film school that needs the money for that cheap bid, well, that's that's great for him. You know, he's going to get what he pays for. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was a situation. So, I, I was with another uh, another buddy of mine, and both of us just looked at him and just kind of nodded and said, okay, yeah, um, this is our bid. This is our price. And that's it. Like, there was no coming down to whatever he wanted. He didn't tell us the number he wanted, but in the end, our number was not going to work for him. And he point blank says that to our face. Wow. I mean, it's just, that just, that is the issue. Yeah, I'm not so, not so surprised by it, honestly. No, um, um, right. Well, you, you know, you, you, you know, we, we've been in these situations and that's why, um, you know, and I, yeah. I, I hear that, you know, X, you know, whatever, 10 times a year, but not in the middle of a pandemic that this is a whole nother ballgame now. Well, and, you know, and that, it's that kind of mentality that will lead to people being taken advantage of, you know, and um, workers being taken advantage of. Well, and that, it kind of, you know, leads me into you mentioned it earlier and the first time I heard it mentioned, you know, my spidey sense went off, but liability waivers. Um, anytime I hear a liability, the word liability waiver, I, I cringe and my, you know, my hair stands because anytime an employer or someone wants me to waive their liability, it's screen. It's, it's bad to me. I don't agree with it. It's not right. You're the employer. You should have the. You should take onus for what happens, um, and it's you know in some cases it's also just not legal either. Um, I'm not real sure. You know, I would say this up front that if you've encountered a liability waiver or you think you encountered a liability waiver, you should talk to an entertainment lawyer or a lawyer that knows liability. You know, law and get their feedback on them and talk to them about it. But I can tell you, it took me 15 minutes to do research. And, you know, I had some, I had some discussion with the, the union one day, you know, they, you know, they called, they were just kind of talking about, you know, like, Hey, as business comes back, we don't want anyone to, you know, be taken advantage of this and that. And I was like, okay, great. And, you know, I had some talk with them about it, but basically, you know, if an employer is asking for a liability waiver, the research that I did, I found a, a prior case that was called Brown versus So. And in this case, basically, Skip Barber Racing School had asked an employee to sign liability waiver. They did it. They ended up getting hurt by a paid, you know, by someone attending the school. He sued Skip Barber Racing School. And even though they had a liability waiver, it was found that their liability waiver went against public policy because it allowed them to have an increased bargaining position over the employee. Because if he didn't sign the waiver, he didn't work. And so that went against public policy, and the liability waiver didn't stand up. And so, and that's just a kind of brief summation of, of what it was. Everyone should go and, and do their research. So I'm not sure you know, if liability, how that would hold up for a location asking for a liability waiver or something along those lines. But the truth is, is that if it, you know, what I can take from it, 
having not been a lawyer, is that if a liability waiver gives someone an increased bargaining position over you because of it, then there's pretty good chance that it may not be held up. And of course, a lot of that will have to do with the state that it's in and everything. And this is why I say you talk to a legal professional. But you need to be cognizant, especially in this business, of the documents you're signing. You need to read them. You need to know what's enforceable. And even if someone's putting language in there like a liability waiver, okay, so maybe I still sign it anyways. But at least if you have the knowledge, you know, you know, like what you're still going to be able to have you know, to come back on later if the, if it, if the need presents itself. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's going to be a crazy time. And I've heard a lot of talk about liability waivers or asking employees to sign COVID COVID waivers and, and stuff like this. And I just don't, um, I just don't know how that's going to go. And I haven't really ran into anyone that's been you know, I did the same thing. I've kind of talked around and I haven't ran, ran into anyone that's actually been asked to sign one yet, but I imagine it will happen. And, um, you just need to take care of yourself, do a little bit of research and, and talk to someone and, and, um, you know, hold your employers to a higher standard, you know, an equal standard to what they in turn hold you to. Cause they expect you to come in be professional, get the job done quick and care about their project just as much as they do almost it. So you should hold them to your self-care standards, you know, just as much as they hold you to their project standards. Yeah, and I mean, one of the, once again, neither one of us are lawyers, but the 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 fact that someone asked to, to sign, for you to sign a liability waiver, the first thing that I hear is, what are you, are you, are you, are you admitting that, something's not right on the set that I, or location that I'm about to walk onto like that. To well, me, I mean, I, I know I might it, be going too far maybe, but that's where, yeah, I mean, that's where I, never I get wonder. that feeling. F- yeah. I never get that feeling from it. it. It's kind of more of a, um, if something happens, you can't sue me. Um, what they're trying to do is like, if something happens on set, I can't be sued for it. But realistically, them as producers, them as employers are liable for your job safety. You know, if you don't, it's their job to provide on-set safety policies and standards. It's their job to have it monitored and make sure the operation and the equipment are safe. Um, but it's, it's your job to do that as well. And if you can prove that you adhered to the the guidelines and you followed procedures and you would still hurt, then that falls back on them. And, you know, this would be less, this will be less of a, an issue for people that have workers comp and that have people on payroll. But if you're not, if you're not on payroll and you're 1099ing and you don't have, you're on an indie film and you don't have a workers comp policy. First off, that's illegal. Second, like, not in every state, but some states that's illegal. Um, second off, like protect yourself, you know, like that just screams that, you know, you want me to come out and basically give you my all to get your movie made, but then you don't want to be there to protect me and make sure I can continue to provide for my family. If you haven't done your job, I mean, it's the Sarah, it's the Sarah thing all over again with the train tracks, you know, and how they, put their crew at risk and then 
wanted to put up their hands and be like, it's not my fault, you know? So. Well, yeah, I mean, we just actually recently heard of another injury on a big time set. Um, and by all accounts, they are taking care of that person. It's a, it was a PA on, um, um, the CW um, Batwoman show, um, a condor, uh, someone was moving a condor, and PA was on um, on Firewatch duty. Apparently right under the condor, like within a few feet, and the condor um, operator hit her um, and caused spinal damage. Um, the, the production company is, like I said, from my research, by all accounts, is taking care of her, but, you know, that just goes back to safety, like, why was the wh- how did that happen i mean there's a living person within feet of a condor moving like that's that's right kind of an and i'm sure they that's in- an issue i'm sure they investigated that and if there's a workers comp policy i'm sure they investigated it um but and i'm you know they'll probably address whatever went down there and that could have been inexperience that could have been bad communication no spotter there, there could have been a, a bunch of reasons but um, the fact remains that she's taken care of. Yes. You know, it was a studio, so there was a workers' comp policy. She was taken care of. The producers probably, most likely, since it's a union show, there were safety bullet bulletins sent out with every call sheet. Um, you know, the question is, is, you know, it comes into a bigger issue of, you know, how much should OSHA be involved in set operations, um, you know, especially with, like, condors and, you know, o- OSHA standards and stuff that's just starting to creep into the industry it's been the wild west with a lot of that for the longest time um you know could could her life have been you know saved if she had had a hard hat on I don't know you know the particulars of it yeah neither do I did she have a safe did she have a high vis vest on you know just you know things like that um so there's a there's a lot to consider and I'm glad that she's being taken care of um but it's no one no one else is going to look out for you like yourself you know and getting injured on set or getting injured and then having no way to take care of yourself afterwards and not being able to provide for you yourself and your family and your career stops is is not right either um yeah it, so, a, lot, a lot's going to you know, not not to be a not to be a Debbie downer but like I just hear a lot about this liability waiver thing and it just, it irks me, man. And like, no one's having real conversation about it. Yeah. I'll start out. It's like everyone sweeps it under the rug and just continues on, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the, a level of desperation that I understand is there, but you know, if, if everybody in unison takes a deep breath and asks the appropriate questions, things will, be better for not only yourself but your your fellow production mates um you know whatever whatever market you're in wherever you're listening from now like everybody is in this um this the same situation that production just just halted and it and it sucks um there's there's you know several layers to that but ask the right questions and as shitty as it may be, maybe whatever, you know, if you're if you're getting a bad feeling, you're not getting the answers you want, that's not the job that you should be going on. You'll get another one and, you know, as especially as production starts trickling back up. Um, but ask the right questions and, and pay attention and, and do your research. I mean, you know, Josh, you openly admitted that you found that found all that information in fifteen minutes. 
Um, it's like a Geico commercial. Yep. <laughs> so, um, just I haven't quite thought about it that way yet. <laughs> um, but just just do do your due diligence and and ask questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to ask. Um, you know, um, my my friends and my colleagues in this area that I hear are on set, or um, you know, send me send me you know their their photos on set. Um, you know, just I had one buddy yesterday send me a send me a selfie, being like, oh, first first job um, since uh, since March," and him and I just dived into a pretty pretty lengthy conversation about you know how you know how it is on set for him, and he you know he was like, "Oh yeah, there's literally four of us, and we were sent this PDF." Um, or three of us, whatever he said, um, and this PDF and, um, and, you know, wear a mask and not wear a mask conversation kind of ensued, um, all, all nice open conversations. And then I had another guy tell me like, oh yeah, it's mandatory to wear a mask and it's just me, um, just in case someone approaches me on set. Um, he was doing some sort of, um, um, scenic B-roll thing, um, but he was he was saying saying that you know it was it was mandatory for him to wear a mask and but he also said even if it wasn't I would be wearing a mask so there's a there's a lot of um, a lot of clarity that's going to come in come into the uh, industry in the next you know call it few weeks yeah it's going to continue to change and policies are going to continue to change over the next several months and you know what's hot right now what's policy right now may not be policy in a few months and you know. It's um, it's gonna be a developing situation for quite a while. So it's like just buckle in and and breathe a little bit, you know. Um, but to kind of leave the some of the doom and gloom, uh, there's just one topic that I'm really curious about. I don't know how much you know about it. I don't know super much about it myself. Um, I'm kind of just ripping it from the headlines, and I wanted to hit you with it. Is what if Amazon buys AMC? Like. AMC theaters. I, you know, I heard that it was like scuttlebutt that it could be happening, but I don't know how real it is. And it's like, you know, I'm sure a lot of this, you know, we know Netflix has been buying up theaters as well. And a lot of this kind of comes back to, you know, the Paramount um, consent decrees. Um, at what point are we going to see more studios buy theater chains? Is this like, this is pretty huge. I mean, what do you feel about it? I think it, even though there's no definitive, um, you know, news out, it, it's got to be, there's got to be a, a, a very serious level of legitimacy behind it. Um, you know, that's how, that's how Amazon's been growing. I mean, they've been buying companies left and right for the better part of five years. I mean, we hear about them buying something at least once a year minimum, right? Um, and, I just got to believe that there's a very, very strong likelihood that 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 story, at the very least, is true. That they are looking into it. Uh, well, yeah, nothing gets out that someone doesn't want to get out, right? Yeah, it's just who whose side is it getting out from, and you know, maybe I, it's not AMC, maybe it's not Amazon. Someone else is, I, you know, some. There's always a motive for something getting out for some reason. So you know, well, it makes my my first my first. Um, question is did AMC let that get out because obviously they have a um, they have a little bit of a tip stock um, well the, yeah the, the stock you know went up a little bit after after the scope uh-huh. was yeah yeah and that and they have a, um, a, ve- a very public feud right now with Universal so 
do yeah. are they releasing that? Are they letting that leak because there's some sort of strong arm situation with Universal? I don't know. I mean, if you Uni- yeah. if Universal and Amazon have 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 beef, you know, once again, this is completely my you know where my mind went. I have no le- no legitimate information behind this. But if Universal and Nef- uh, and Amazon, Universal and Amazon have beef of any sort, and Amazon re- uh, and AMC releases that news, does that make Universal want to come back to AMC? Yeah, Be- I don't think it's that. I don't. I, mean, I don't. I've never kn- heard of them having. Ne- neither having do I. Beef. Neither I think do I. It's more along the line of they're just probably trying to. If it's not real or if it's not a done deal, they're just trying to help with their stock price a little bit. You know, let it out that it was talked. It, but it's only going to be temporary, you know. Oh yeah, because it it'll dip back, back down. down. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah, what, one so, a one day rise, and then it'll it'll find its new yeah. new median again. Yeah. Um, I mean it's big for Amazon because they can finally, you know, have the you know not that they couldn't have done it before, but you know now they have the means to show their movies when they want to, you know, so they can be nominated for Oscars and other things. I mean they've already done it. But it just makes it easier, because um, they now own the, they now own the chain. And then, you know, does Amazon now start to if Amazon buys AMC, does an Amazon membership get you AMC A list, or does it, you know, give you a discount on AMC A list or something like that? You know, is there an Amazon Prime Movie Pass, you know, to theaters? Um, well, there's also there's also just, the the marketing play where they can have a even more strategic marketing plan from um, from the moment that it ends up in theaters in their theaters, and then it ends up on their platform um, for to rent or right. if you buy a ticket, you get the digital download for free. There's there's a whole marketing plan that then comes into play if you have the theaters then you can offer something else some added incentive and be able to streamline um, can you start can you imagine start to see like amazon basic commercials before your movie you know amazon echo commercials before your movie it's just kind of like it's an extension of you know amazon prime video in a way like you're saying um, there will be Amazon advertisement all over that theater. You'll be able to go to the theater and buy the same shit at the theater that you can probably buy on Amazon. And, you know, it'll be, I mean, it's, it's smart if they do it. I can see why they would do it. Um, if it, if they do it and it works, it's just going to open the door for more brands to try it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I mean, a theater could you know, also be double AT&T does does AT&T you know start to buy a theater and you know add the theater experience to HBO Max and you know Warner Brothers I mean Warner Brothers already has you know already does movies already does theaters so now Warner Brothers owns their own theaters or AT&T owns them and you get HBO Max experiences you know big releases in the theaters can you imagine if they had AT&T had owned a theater and done the Game of Thrones finale at a theater. You know, there was already bar watch parties. Can you imagine if people would have been able to get together in a theater to watch the final two episodes of Game of Thrones? Yeah, especially you know? especially the theaters that offer 
food and drinks. I mean, you could yeah. You could have the whole place just be a like you said Game of Thrones night. Like no no movies, nothing else will play on this Thursday at seven o'clock, but every single theater, pick a seat, sit at the bar, table set up in the lobby. It, it would be just a massive rager almost. Yeah. Uh it, it'd be interesting. Be, um be re- be really interesting. Yeah. The the another another idea that comes to my mind is um Amazon buys a theater, right? Well then they just I mean how many other Am- uh Amazon package pickup locations are there now? So yeah, because they already do put kiosks at all kinds of different places. Yeah, I mean, you they buy AMC. I mean, how many AMCs are can can you immediately think of in your region? I mean, and, you know, and, and whoever's listening to this right now, just think of think of how many AMCs you can think of that are just in you know ten minutes west, fifteen minutes north, five minutes south of you, and you're like, oh, well, that's that's now a another distribution area yes. or another pickup area, another Amazon kiosk. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's it makes sense for a multitude of reasons, and that's where, like I said, the marketing side comes from because it's not just one avenue; it's it's ten avenues that they can sell their sell their products, sell their merch, do do full um, rentals, release parties, merchandise pickups. They could have you know people um, their vans parked there. Um, and it'd be a, um, a, a hot spot for their, for their drivers for X, Y, Z reason. Yeah. I, it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah. So, well, dude, it was good to like, just sit down and, and talk, you know, I mean, I know we've been in quarantine together, but like we've, we haven't really had the chance to just kind of catch up and talk about the industry and, you know pontificate about things for a while it's all been kind of business and like just doing the the typical check-in of like hey how's the family doing everyone's still alive great you know? <laughs> uh, no our wives have not murdered us yet yeah exactly so it was good to catch up and um you know we'll have to see how this all goes maybe we're back here in two months you know talking about the effects of covid still and you know what happened with amazon i don't know but um the uh it's good to just catch up with you yeah my man i'm glad everything's going well um it'll be uh we got we got a few really really cool episodes coming up so can't can't say anything can't talk el- about it yet yeah because we're we're still trying to just double check that they're gonna go through but uh next few episodes yeah, we haven't locked in the actual dates yet but yeah. we know we basically know that they're gonna happen at some point yeah so so stay tuned um you know as always let us know how we can help and if there's anyone we should be talking to send us a message kevin it's the end of the podcast josh that means that everybody needs to stop what they're doing write us a review and subscribe for future episodes yeah i mean it would really help us out a lot it helps us kind of get to the you know new and noteworthy section top of the charts help us get new people new interesting and lovely film people on this podcast along with that you can follow us on instagram at fgi podcast and you can also check out more episodes and more information more bios and information for all of our speakers at fgipodcast.com this podcast was also recorded live in front of a studio audience and we flew everyone out on delta airlines no but um it was recorded live at Two Stories Media Studios, and it's presented by Greenland Entertainment and Two Stories Media. 